Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby here with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Uh, let's get to it. We finished our core player series. You can see all those posts at cleveland.com slash Browns as we went through position by position, uh, all the core players on the Browns roster. So let's kind of get ourselves caught up. We did a few of these uh, last week, so now let's get caught up on some of the ones that we've missed since then here on a Thursday. Mary Kay, uh, let's just work our way backwards here. You did wide receivers. That went up on Thursday, actually right before we hit record on this. So, you know, we said we were going to be tough graders here. So there, there's some guys here that had to be left out. But who did you have as your core wide receivers? Um, I mean, I think one is obvious, but who else did you have? Yeah, and this one you guys might find debatable, but I also put, in addition to Amari Cooper, I put Donovan Peoples-Jones as one of the core receivers. He finished with 61 catches last year, 839 yards, three touchdowns, uh, and I just think that they really view him as a key piece of their receiving core. I still think that they need to go out and get a couple more pass catchers, uh, but they value Donovan Peoples-Jones. They like what he brings to the table. And uh, and I felt that he belonged uh, in that core player category. Uh, so I, I put him up in there. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. I, I don't disagree. I think he's a guy that is part of this team. I mean, well, our standard was like a, you know, what was it, Ashley? Like a quality contributor for the next three to five years, something like that. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is, at worst, like a guy that's going to be on this team for the foreseeable future, whether he's the number two or he's a number three, whatever he is. I think he's part of this receiving core for the for the foreseeable future, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think I, I actually like putting him here. Um, and, of course, I uh, like, I think, what DPJ does more than, like, or appreciate what he does more than a lot of fans or whatever do just because to kind of see where he came from in college, like I did getting to cover him there and how he wasn't utilized correctly and the way he's just kind of ingratiated himself onto this team and not only to be a sixth round pick that's a contributor, but who is a legitimate starter on this team. And, and like Barry Kay said, like I think they still need at least one more piece in this receiver room to kind of fill things out because Donovan's not like that speedy kind of guy who's going to create a ton of separation and get open. He's going to be your guy that wins contested catches. And 
I think that's important too. Like you need a guy like that, but you know, it's not like that Tyreek Hill kind of style that I think we think they're all missing, but I really like Donovan. I think they really like Donovan. So I think it's fair to say like by the standards we were using for the next three to five years, you can see him being a legitimate part of this offense. So it's after those two Mary Kay where it gets a little bit, a little bit iffy. So, um, you know, there's David Bell, um, Michael Woods. Uh, you know, I, I still, I mean, Demetric Felton's a wide receiver. Um, I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, who, who did you, who kind of intrigues you most in that group behind the guys you put as the core players? Well, first of all, you just reminded me that I completely forgot to put Demetric Felton in there at all. <laughs> um, so now I have to go back and, and add him in. Um, but before we move on, because he just is caught in that world between we we thought he was going to be a running back and he's actually a receiver, and I just don't think of him <laughs> that way. Sometimes I forget about him. So I'm going to have to go back and uh, and put him in as, um, you know, I don't know. I guess I would put him as a maybe like an on the bubble player or a potential core player. So have to figure that out. But um, before we move on, um, our former analytics writer, Scott Pasco, who now uh, is our, you know, night manager, uh, he told us about some ESPN receiver analytics. So I went and looked at those for this story. And, you know, I think for purposes of, of talking about, talking about the receivers, I think it's interesting to look at a couple of those numbers really quickly. And that is they have Donovan Peoples-Jones tied for first place in the NFL at making the catch with a 99 grade. Interesting, right? Now, when I went and looked at the pro football focus grades for contested catches for this year, you know, we think of him as that contested catch guy. Oddly enough, he was, I don't have all my numbers in front of me right at this very moment. I, I would have to run and go get the notebook that I was doing this all out of. Um, but he he caught like 11 of 29 contested catches. And so he was like 74th in that category, according to Pro Football Focus. And Amari Cooper was way higher up the food chain uh, in the rankings in terms of contested catches than Donovan was this year. But... ESPN analytics looked on him much more favorably in terms of making the catch tied for first in the NFL. That is pretty high, high praise. Um, That catapulted him up to 29th in the NFL overall amongst receivers, whereas PFF had him uh, amongst qualifying receivers at number 57. So there was a, Tremendous disparity between ESPN analytics and PFF analytics on this, which I thought was quite interesting because we sometimes put a lot of stock into analytics. And here you've got two vastly different grades on the same player. So I thought that was interesting. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think the question is, like, what is Donovan's ceiling? Yeah. Right. Like, because I think that's interesting that there is a discrepancy there. So, like, is this is this the ceiling for Donovan? What we saw this year, you know, kind of a guy that you know could maybe go for a thousand yards in the right year, but it's probably going to end up in that eight hundred to a thousand yard range 
you know, like I said, never going to quite be that number one receiver, maybe kind of a borderline number two, or is there still a higher ceiling for this guy? That I guess that would be the question I have here, Ashley, about, about Donovan. How much better does he get from this year, or is this kind of what he is at his best? I think he can get better just because he has never had a quarterback like Deshaun Watson throwing him the ball. And I think Deshaun like really likes him too. He's talked about that because he likes as a quarterback throwing guys open. And that's kind of what Donovan does. He likes battling for the ball. And I think we saw, you know, a handful of those drops, right? Of course, the the bad one in Cincinnati in the end zone, the one in Washington where Deshaun goes back to him because he he kind of like foresaw, okay, this is what they're going to do. And the drive ends with the touchdown. Like, I think Deshaun hasn't been scared off by some of the drops that Donovan has made. And I think as those guys get more experience, not just practice reps, because, you know, they haven't had a ton of those either. You know, they try to make the most of the ones they got in the preseason, especially and throughout practices once Deshaun Watson's suspension was over. But I think for him, the reason I am so kind of for this idea that he his ceiling is higher, I think, than we might be thinking, just because I think Deshaun Watson might help him reach that. Yeah, Mary Kay, I mean, what do you think his ceiling is, kind of with all this information that, that you have, you know, the analytics stuff and kind of what we saw this season from him? You know what? I, I think I think the upside is there. I thought he took a, a pretty nice leap this season, and now he needs to take that next step up. And one of the things that I, that I put in my story um, that I posted today on Thursday is that, you know, he has to learn uh, to be there for um, for Deshaun Watson a little more to figure out uh, to make sure that he can stay alive and open and relevant on the scramble drill and to be able to sort of freelance and, and use his athleticism and his and his body and his instincts uh, to get open and to to run around and make those sight adjustments and do whatever he has to do so he can be there for Deshaun Watson when Deshaun needs somebody. Uh, in an in an instant, so um, so he's got to be able to do that, and and I think if he can, then he'll be able to take his game up to that next level. But I think in the meantime, they're probably going to look for guys that have some of that natural ability and perhaps even natural ability and experience with Deshaun in that regard. So before we move on here, um, Ashley, those the other receivers in that room. Who I guess who do you like from that group? So again, Felton Bell, uh, Michael Woods, you know, Dalen Baldwin, you know, whoever you can pull from whoever's in that room. Who do you really like in that room? You know, I'm gonna. I know Mary Kay has said this too. I think of that group. The one who I think it's good that we don't fully know what he is yet is is Michael Woods the second, because I think he has some of that athleticism. I know Mary Kay. I think you've brought up like he kind of almost has this DPJ-esque quality to him. Like you talk about the scramble um, drills and things like that with Deshaun. I think from what we've seen of him on the practice field, he has maybe some ability there that we haven't gotten a chance to see yet and to maybe improvise a little bit more when those situations come up. So I think for me, it's, it's really he is jumping out is like maybe that next guy that you could say, huh, like this guy could eventually become a true core of this offense and a guy who they maybe winds up being a steal for them if he can stay healthy. I think the hamstring was a big issue this year. Mary Kay, what about you? Well, you know, the guy that we really need to talk about is is David Bell. What, you know, what is David Bell 
going to become? What is the upside for David Bell? I got an opportunity to talk to him a little bit the other day, and he talks about himself in terms of wanting to be the best player on the field. And, um, you know, he's got to come up the learning curve for that. But, you know, he's got the work ethic to go out and work really hard at it. Um, But he just didn't get a ton of opportunities as a rookie. So I think it will be interesting to see how that all shakes out in his second season. He does need to take that next step up and, um, and he's got to work really, really hard this off season. He has to work with uh, Deshaun Watson and once again, uh, be able to, to be there for him because at the depth that he's playing at, you know, that's where you're hopefully going to find that guy when you're scrambling around and you need somebody to throw the ball to Uh, generally it's, it's not always going to be, you know, 40 yards downfield, it's going to be, you know, right there in the middle of the field or, um, you know, a quick out or something like that. So, um, you know, I think he's got plenty of upside. If I mean, think back to how Kevin Stefanski talked about David Bell. He loved him coming out, loved his hands. I mean, I think if I recall correctly, and you guys can refresh my memory, but didn't he think he had like the best hands in this draft, just, you know, from a pure hands standpoint or thought he was right up there right yeah I mean I know Andrew Barry said that in the in the press conference right after the draft that they thought he had that was the exact phrase the best hands in the draft class yeah so um and you know he again he did not have a ton a ton of targets I think he had 34 35 targets maybe um and he made the most of them for the most part but I think that you know, he definitely needs to take his game up. That's a pretty high pick. A third round pick is a pretty high pick. You want him to be a key contributor. That's always the goal. First, second, third round starters or key contributors in the rotation. So that's where the bar is set for David Bell. And now it's up to him. Okay, let's um, let's switch gears here. We've talked a lot about the defensive line. I'm going to save them for the second half of the pot and the backfield too. We haven't talked about the offensive line much, so that was one that I wrote on Friday. And this was honestly kind of a, I don't know, I thought this was an easy one. <laughs> but um, I actually put four guys as core players, and mostly just because the Browns have extended those guys. Actually, no, I put three guys as core players. And it's mostly because the Browns have basically told us they are. Uh, Joel Batonio, obviously. Wyatt Teller, obviously, uh, and Jack Conklin, obviously. Those guys have all been extended in the last two years. Um, so I viewed them as, as core players. Ethan Posick, I didn't want to include in there because what if he's not a member of the Browns next year if they're unable to resign him? Obviously, obviously if they bring him back on a multi-year deal, that tells you um, that he belongs there too. But Jedrick Wills, I didn't include as a core player. I put him as a potential core player. Um, Mary Kay, should I have put him in that core group or does he still need to prove it here going into year four? And of course the Browns, um, have a decision to make on his fifth year option. They'll probably pick it up by, by May 3rd. Um, but should he be a core player? Do I have it right that he's more of a, like, he needs to prove it still guy. You know what, when you pick a guy number 10 overall, and he is your starting left tackle, 
I think they are going to ride that out as long as they possibly can and try to keep bringing him up the learning curve. So I actually think you probably could have thrown him into the uh, into the mix as a core guy. I think they will pick up his fifth year option. I mean, you can make an argument not to the way that you did, um, but you know when when a guy is that high up the food chain in terms of draft status. I I think and and I think they felt pretty good about his development last year that they felt he did come along and make some progress last year. So I think you know they still think that with him working with Bill Callahan uh, that you know he's going to continue to get better. So a case can be made that that he is one of their core guys. Ashley, you know I guess. You know, if this is a guy that, you know, again, let's just assume they pick up that fifth year option. So you got two more years here. Um, do, do you consider him a core guy or does he still need to prove it in your mind? I think like for me, it wouldn't be until he gets like an actual extension, like or at least until some of these questions that, you know, we've had about him now for a couple of years. Right. Like in terms of the effort and finishing plays and doing those sorts of things. And and to Mary Kay's point, yes, this regime obviously took him very high in the draft. That was a lot of draft capital to spend on a guy who you think is going to be your left tackle of the future. But I do think, you know, there's just always been these questions about him. Like, can he even play left tackle (laughs) coming out of college that haven't fully been answered for me in playing the comparison game with other guys that we can definitively say, yes, like these guys are a part of their core. You know, we talked about Wyatt Teller and that wrap up rewards pod that we did. And obviously he didn't have the best year, but given the fact that they extended him, it's like, they've essentially, like you said, Dan told us who their core is with these extensions already. So I, if I was writing this story, I probably would have put Jed where you did. Um, but that's not to say he can't become a core player. I just think he's not there for me yet because of those lingering questions that we talk about with him all the time. So then the other name I mentioned here, Mary Kay, Ethan Posick, is he a guy that the Browns have to prioritize? Do they do they need to do everything they can to make sure he's back here and back here for multiple years? You know, I think they need to give it the old college try, but I think they probably have a little bit of a, a limit on what they want to pay. And I think he recognizes that this is his opportunity to hit the jackpot. So he's going to want to see what he can get on the open market. So the market will set his price is, is I think what is going to happen. So he'll see what he can get. And if that number is out of reach for the Browns, then he will be gone. Uh, Because, you know, guys like that have a tendency to get in some cases, overpaid on the open market. And I don't know if they can afford to do that with all of the double-digit millions they have going on on that offensive line. Uh, I think it's somewhat of a shame, the timing of it all, because I think he's really, really good. And I think that Deshaun Watson could really use him. And I don't think they know for sure that they can count on Nick Harris yet uh, to either stay super healthy or hold down the position. Um, so they might have to be looking around a little bit, but, um, it's unfortunate because he was a great fit. He played really, really well. He fit in there, you know, in between the two pro bowl guards and Bill Callahan did a nice job with them. I just don't know that they're going to be able to uh, pony up and pay him what he's going to be worth. 
Yeah, it's going to be tough. And just, you know, I wrote a kind of look at the salary cap today. And, and here's some numbers. You know, Wyatt Teller, uh, 15.4 million cap hit. Nick Chubb, 14.85. Uh, Joel Batonio, 14.6 this year. That's $45 million just in those three kind of key pieces of your run game. And then, of course, you know, Jack Conklin, you throw him into the mix. His cap hit isn't very big this year. It's only about 7.785. So uh, you're in good shape there. But, you know, look, it's it's February. I, I think Joel Batonio is like a prime, hey, let's restructure this because you're going to be here forever candidate. So um, I, I think him and Teller are both guys that you can maybe dip in and, and restructure those those contracts. But you know, they've got a lot of money tied up in, I, I kind of call it the run game. And, I, and you know, we'll get to the backfield a little bit later. But actually, they do have a lot of money tied up in this line um, when you factor in. And, and Jack is going to jump, too, after this season. So you throw in another guy. And Jed Wills, you know, his fifth-year option next year will be in the double-digit millions. And then if you extend him, that, you know, he'll be getting paid like a starting left tackle. This line gets expensive fast. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's kind of like how this team was built. Remember, like we talked about before the Browns obviously traded for Deshaun Watson when Baker was still here, like this team was so clearly like followed the money was what we used to say. It is built as a running offense. Well, now you add, you know, a top five in theory quarterback into the mix. And I think that's going to change some things. So like you said, I think it's going to be a matter of, how this front office can kind of maneuver things and potentially restructure some of these guys who, like you said, we know like Joel Batonio is going to be here forever. And can you figure out a way to make this more manageable on your salary cap? Okay. Uh, Mary Kay, anything else on the offensive line? No, I think we, I think we covered it there. I mean, I mean, so many years that I covered this team, People, um, I mean, that used to be the area of concern through all those years, uh, through so many quarterbacks just getting just dumped on their back all the time. And it, it is, you know, refreshing this era of, of fans. Um, I hope they don't take for granted just how good this line is and just how much money the Browns put into it. See, I, I knew that was the easiest position. That's why I took it. That's the easiest. Uh, Okay, let's take a break. And when we get back, we'll talk about the defensive line and we'll talk about the backfield. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock. Ashley, you had the honor of writing about the defensive line. Is there another core player? Was it just Miles Garrett? That is who I had as the core player. And I mean, I, I wrote this and we talked about this when we talked a lot about this defensive line yesterday. Like, it was just kind of Miles Garrett and everybody else. Like, I think not just from an edge rushing perspective, but just on the defensive line in general. I mean, we know how 
rough these defensive tackles were this year went over some of those numbers yesterday like Taven Bryan was their best graded defensive tackle I believe he was in like the 70s um, in terms of his defensive grade from PFF and everyone else was lower than him Perrion Winfrey um, Jordan Elliott Tommy Togi I were all hanging out in like the 130s of guys with the minimum snap count filter on um, so for me it's, it's Miles Garrett kind of being a cornerstone of this defense I could argue you know he's one of the cornerstones of this team as a whole and from there it's just kind of everybody else and I mean the biggest struggle for me was trying to filter out between um, potential core player and bubble guys but I think Miles for me is the undeniable core player and a lot of the potential core players I was kind of banking on these are young guys who they drafted who there are maybe some remaining questions about who in theory if they develop could become core parts of this defense so I guess let's look at it this way Uh, Mary Kay when you look at some of these young guys and I mean really specifically there's the three they drafted last year uh, Alex Wright Perry on Winfrey Isaiah Thomas um who are you most excited about, I guess? Who, who do you look at and say, that guy That guy is the guy I'm most excited to see in Jim Schwartz's defense? I'm most curious to see what Alex Wright is going to be able to do. Uh, I, I'm curious about that because Jim Schwartz has a way of, of isolating the, those defensive ends and, and getting them you know, out there on an island and whatnot where you're able to get to the quarterback. So if... Alex Wright is going to turn into the player that the Browns drafted him to be and the pass rusher that they drafted him to be, then I think that Jim Schwartz would be the guy that would be able to bring that out in him. So that's he's one that I'm very, very curious to see what he can do. Um, but we've also talked about Perry on Winfrey. I mean, that could be interesting too. If you can get him going in the right direction – from an off-the-field standpoint and an on-the-field on the standpoint, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what his potential is. If you can corral all that energy and, uh, you know, all of that, all, you know, all that sort of, you know, whatever kind of vibe he's got going on, if you can get all that, hone it and get it all going in the right direction, uh, then, you know, they can, they can find something there too. So, um, I think those two guys more so than anything and anything that you get out of I- Isaiah Thomas, I think is going to be, uh, you know, just a really nice bonus. I mean, he wasn't expected as a seventh round pick to come in and knock over the world. So wherever you get, whatever you get out of him, I think, you know, they'll be pleasantly surprised with that. And then the other guy that I think, you know, what is Jim Schwartz going to be able to do with Jordan Elliott? Because Jordan was supposed to be a world beater this year. Is, is Jim Schwartz going to see it that way and find that within him and help bring that out? Will he be a lot better in his second full season as a starter? You know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the bar was set too high for him last year. Maybe he'll be a lot better this year. Ashley, who is the young guy that, that you're kind of most excited to see? It's hard, like, with the excited. Like, I don't, again, I'm kind of like Mary Kay. I don't know if I'd say excited, but I would say curious. For me, it is Perion, just because I think when people have talked about him and when, you know, players talk about him, assistant coaches talked about him, it's just like almost like 
he needs to do that maturing. And he was maybe, you know, one of the guys in this rookie class who needed to do that the most. Of course, he had some of the disciplinary issues. He had to miss the Jets game and some practices leading up to that game because of that. But I think for me, I just keep going back to how effective he was at rushing quarterbacks in college his last two years at Oklahoma. I mean, he had five and a half sacks his last year there. So I think, like, if he can get back to that, like, it can be like how we were talking about him after he was drafted, that he's a guy who could potentially take some pressure off of Miles Garrett. And for me, that's like most intriguing is because I think that pass rushing ability is there. It's like, can Jim Schwartz unlock the rest of this and really get him disciplined enough that he's putting in the work required to do that same thing and have that kind of production against obviously much harder talent than there is in college. Mary Kay, when you mentioned Jordan Elliott as a guy that you're curious to see um, what Jim Schwartz can do with it, I think that's interesting because I do think some of this defense is the Browns sort of rolling the dice on, you know, what for whatever reason, guys didn't develop the way they were hoping they would develop under Joe Woods. And they're sort of rolling the dice a little bit that Jim Schwartz can change that. And, and Elliott would seem to be a prime candidate for that. Absolutely, 100%. When they look back over the last couple of years, I think they see uh, that their defensive players that they really are excited about and think highly of haven't achieved what they expected them to achieve. And so I think that, you know, he's one of those guys targeted for significant improvement under Jim Schwartz. I'm sure they're hoping that the same will happen for a JOK and a Grant Delpit and a Greg Newsom. Uh, someone asked me on the radio the other day to grade the Browns uh, draft picks so far and Andrew Berry's draft picks. And I said, a lot of them are defensive guys that we just don't know the answer to that yet because we have to see how they fare in Jim Schwartz's defense, especially uh, some of those you know front guys, because that's sort of his specialty. So um, Jordan Elliott, you know, like I said, second year in his, uh, you know, as a full-time starter. And then, you know, we don't, we don't know yet if, if Jim Schwartz will also perhaps bring in his own uh, defensive line coach, or if Kevin Stefanski will find, uh, you know, someone else, or if Chris Kiffin will come back, but there's a chance that, you know, he's going to be coached up differently, whether it's just by Jim Schwartz or it's by Jim and someone else. And so, um, you know, I think that the jury is still out on a number of those guys, especially the young defensive linemen. Okay, let's move on to specialists. And of course, the question here is, is Corey Bohorquez your long-term punter of the future? Act, no, that's not what I'm going to ask. We can talk some Corey Bohorquez if we want. I guess what I'm wondering is, Ashley, is Jerome Ford your kick returner of the future? And I ask this because like, he was really good returning kickoffs, but also he's likely to have an expanded role as the, as maybe your running back who replaces Kareem hunt. That's going to be sort of an interesting battle behind Nick Chubb. Can Jerome Ford do both? Yeah, that is kind of like always the interesting question with these guys. I know like in, after one game, I I think it was in Houston um, because it was when Donovan returned his kick for a, a touchdown and talking to Amari Cooper, you know, he was like, I used to do that. But like, eventually, when you have these guys who become 
key parts of an offense, it gets harder to use them on special teams in the same way. So even like Donovan, there's a question about there, right? But I think with Jerome Ford, like I think, yes, like that's where I'm leaning to, um, especially with Deshaun out there, you know, now and his ability to run too and them to draw up designed runs for their quarterback in a way that they didn't have with Baker Mayfield when Kareem Hunt, you know, had his best years here. So I'm leaning towards yes, because I think Jerome Ford really revitalized that part of special teams for them. And like when we talk about salary cap and things like that, you know, one guy we've brought up in terms of their free agents next year is Jakeem Grant, who was making, you know, a lot of money and is like, do you really want to spend that much money on him in your return game, even though he's really good and is like obviously a pro bowl or a special teamer, but like, I, it does make it, I think, more alluring to kind of keep Jerome Ford in that role and see what he can do. Um, and we don't really know what he's going to look like in this offense yet. So I think that's part of it for me, too, that I'm just leaning towards. Yes, like I think he he might be their guy there for a while, given what he showed this year. Yeah, so Jakeem Grant, 30 years old, coming off an Achilles. Um, the Browns could save not a ton of money, but about a little over $2 million if, if they cut him. And $2 million is an extra edge rusher or an extra corner, probably. Mary Kay, I, I remember Mike Prefer when the Browns played the Falcons um, and Cordero Patterson is there, was at the time their starting running back and also their primary kick returner. And Mike Prefer kind of joked, like, you know, it's nice when your starting running back wants to do that. You know, he'd love to have Nick Chubb return kicks and he'd love to, you know, I'm sure he would have loved to have Kareem Hunt return kicks. Um, but sometimes you just can't do that if a guy is a really big part of the offense. And I, and I honestly feel like maybe even DPJ, they might have been a little uncomfortable. You know, they, they probably prefer him not to be out there exposing himself to injury, returning punts. Uh, but if Jerome Ford is a potentially dynamic kick returner and there were some positive signs there, You'd have to consider it, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, we don't know exactly what his role is going to be. um, But if he's getting, you know, let's say he's getting whatever, maybe like eight carries a game or something like that, that should give him an opportunity to still return kicks. And he's good at it. So I definitely think he'll be a strong candidate to do it again. But I think they'll also look around. As you mentioned, uh, Jakeem Grant, I don't see him coming back uh, at a cap hit of $3.5 or $6 million or whatever it is next year. And if he's a a June 1 uh, designation for either being cut or traded, then you can save that $2.5 million or whatever it is uh, on the cap. And I, I think that they will do that because, again, when you're going to be turning 31 during the season and you're coming off a ruptured Achilles, it's tough to come back from that, especially at that position when you rely on your speed and your agility and your ability to cut all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I think they do have to um, probably rethink the position and, you know, at both return spots. And I think Jerome really established himself there I think they'll probably have to still look around a little bit, depending on what happens for them at receiver. Um, you know, I think they need to add to the punt return pile and make sure that they, that they don't have to rely on DPJ to do that uh, in the event they could find somebody else. Um, but I definitely think that Jerome is um, is a very strong candidate to do it again. And then the other guy we obviously have to talk about on special teams, and, and certainly this is a core player. You picked a kicker in the fourth round. I mean, that's that's like the equivalent of taking any other player in the first or second round. 
Cade York, um, probably not the season most people were hoping for from him, especially with the way it started. Uh, we talked about that a little bit on the awards show. I, I guess, what do you, Mary Kay, what do you want to see out of Cade York in year two that, that would make you feel really good about him? Um, consistency at home for sure. Um, but consistency overall, you know, he, he's got to make sure that he can make the, um, you know, the makeable kick in the 40 to 49 yard range. And he's got to make those kicks at home because some of those kicks, they weren't even really necessarily bad weather kicks that, that he was missing. Uh, so he, I think he needs to spend a little bit more time down at the stadium, just getting the feel for it down there. Uh, learning how to read the winds and the flags and all that kind of stuff. Um, but just a little bit more consistency and, and fewer misses at home are what's necessary. Ashley, you are the Cade York whisperer. Is this year, could this rookie year sort of end up being a good thing for him? I mean, I think it could be if he develops kind of like how he did at LSU after a rough freshman year, which, yes, they won the national championship, but he missed 10 kicks that year the same year like he did this year um, combined between his extra points and field goal attempts. Um, So I do think it's just all about like he seems to think he knows what he has to do to get through some of these mental blocks that he talked with a lot about towards the end of the season. Um, in the last like two or three games, everything was kind of normal for him. And I think that was a good confidence booster for him going into the off season because he didn't have any of those misses. Um, and he seemed to think that the biggest problem for him was on focusing in on his technique too late into the season. And then he started to get in his own head. And I think that's understandable, you know, when you're in college and you play fewer games and the season just overall is shorter. Um, I think you can afford to maybe focus on that technique. And with him, he's a perfectionist. So he was laser focused in on that. I think he realized too long. And at some point you just have to trust like, Hey, I've done the work. I need to almost be not thinking about this so much. And I know Mike Prefer talked about wanting to get him out of that too. Um, And essentially trust that your muscle memory is going to take over in these key situations. And that's a lot, I think, of what he thinks he learned. But now it's like, as we know, with the mental side of the game, it's easier said than done. So I'm curious to see like, okay, can he actually do that? And like Mary Kay said, find that consistency that was missing this year. Okay, last but not least, uh, because some of the names involved here, we decided to take the backfield and right, combine it into one because obviously Deshaun Watson, right? He's a core player. <laughs> I, I don't think that's uh, some, some debate we need to have. Mary Kay, how did you approach kind of parsing out the backfield? Well, I really just put down uh, two core players, and that was Deshaun Watson Uh, And then, as you said, we combined quarterback, running back, and I put uh, Nick Chubb as the only other core player there. And then what I did was I tried to give people in that particular story just a little bit of a a preview of what might happen with some of the other players that uh, we know of their names, uh, you know, in the in the backfield. And, you know, one of those was Jacoby Brissett. And obviously the situation is there. They would love to have him back. But if he has any opportunity to, and we've talked about this in the Hayam case this week, um, if he has any opportunity to go anywhere and start, to be a bridge quarterback, to get back out there and start games, that's what he wants to do. So he will not be back if he can find one of those opportunities. 
could be back if he doesn't. Um, at running back, you know, you've got some some guys there that probably aren't going to be back. Kareem Hunt, doubt he'll be back. And same thing with Dearness Johnson. I remember talking to Dearness Johnson after the the last game in, in Pittsburgh, and he just expressed the fact that he was very frustrated by the fact that he could not get on the field at all this year. Now, he did the year before because of injuries, and he, he had games of 146 yards, 99 yards, 100-something else yards, uh, and he was really, really able to kind of put himself on the map. Well, this was a bit of a lost year for him in terms of letting people know that what he can do. And, you know, that, you know, that could potentially hurt him as he tries to find another job. So we'll have to see how that goes. But I, I think the fact that he really just wasn't in, in the game plan at all uh, leads me to believe that he's probably also gone. Uh, but once again, you have to qualify this with by saying bargain basement price, tail end of free agency, anything can happen. Yeah, I think I think last year we were a little unsure if Dearness Johnson would be back. And then, you know, just sort of the way things played out. Um, now that, that was a different scenario because they they tagged him. Right. They they put the uh, right right of first refusal tag on him. Um, they don't mm-hmm. they won't be able to do that this year. But um you know, Ashley, it's it's Watson, it's Chubb. Let's have some more Jerome Ford talk, I guess. This is the Jerome Ford podcast. I mean, is he ready to be Kareem Hunt? Or, I mean, I, I, I mean Kareem Hunt light. <laughs> yeah, so I think just given, like, the fact he didn't get a ton of offensive snaps, like, that's a very hard prediction to make. And I would say no, like, just because we haven't seen him in this offense enough. Um, and it's kind of hard to be Kareem Hunt, like the way he runs. I mean, he's a very violent runner. Um, you can pick up yards very easily after contact when he's at his best. I think he didn't get to showcase enough of that this year. And obviously he's a threat in the pass game too. Now, Jerome Ford at Cincinnati did become a threat in the pass game towards the end of this, his last season, especially. And I do think like we talked about at the time, maybe that was part of what drew the Browns to him because it allows you kind of an insurance plan for the future whenever you're done with Kareem Hunt as a team. So I do think it's interesting. Like I think in his case, like if, you know, assuming Kareem Hunt is gone, it will be good to get him some extra offensive snaps that he just wasn't able to get this year for a variety of reasons and because of where he fell on the depth chart. But I think in college, like he showed that skill set. So it's about working with him now and seeing his hands ready to, you know, is he ready to make a con- contribution in that way? And can he be active in the past game too and kind of be like a safety valve if needed? Yeah, Mary Kay, what, what do you expect out of Ford? We talked about Ford the returner. Now what about Ford the running back? Yeah, I, I think it's his chance. I think it's his time to to go in there and show what he can do uh, in some third down situations, catching the ball out of the backfield. Uh, you know, he's going to have to be able to block. Um, and, you know, let's see what he can do trying to spell Nick Chubb a little bit because you really do want uh, to keep Nick Chubb fresh. You know, Nick has a little bit of a threshold. I think it's somewhere in like the 18 uh, carry mark. The analytics on Nick says that, uh, you know, that he does better when you keep him around that mark a little bit. So, um, so you know, let's see what happens in terms of trying to give Jerome, as I mentioned before, you know, eight carries a game, eight, nine carries a game, uh, and see what he's able to do. 
And some of those, you know, you have to make sure that they're not in, uh, you, you can't put him in rough situations. There were a lot of times this year where it seemed like Kareem Hunt was put in situations where it just was going to be tough to make any hay. Uh, so you want to get him in situations where you feel like he's going to have some success, get his confidence boosted up. And then, um, you know, I would say, you know, give him eight, nine carries a game and uh, throw him the ball a couple times out of the backfield and, and see what he does with it. Okay, our core players uh, on the Cleveland Browns, if you want to get caught up on those posts, uh, just go find Mary Kay's uh, wide receiver story. It's the last one in the series, and there's links in there to all the other ones so you can get caught up on uh, all of our – it was spent about two weeks on this, all of our core player posts. Um, and we also discussed uh, – we discussed linebackers and – some other position. I don't remember which on a, on a podcast last week, uh, but you can go back on your podcast feed and find that as well. Uh, just subscribe to Apple podcasts and Spotify. Look for orange Brown talk, uh, get subscribed there, leave us reviews and also become a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Thanks for listening, everybody. Everybody.